Tonight, my mom and I want to share with you from our hearts how the hand of God has divinely intervened in our lives throughout the seasons of our lives, through people and circumstances, to help us understand God's calling in our lives. We as believers all have specific callings. This calling really is to pursue relationships with others. That's what it's about, you, me, interacting with each other. Before we share some of our journey, the, the relationships, the circumstances that have impacted us, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want to give you something to consider as you listen to our story, because you have a story as well. First of all, what does God want us to do with our lives? What's your calling? What's my calling as a disciple of Christ? We all have to answer that question, and it all should be, it, each of us, it should be something that's constantly going through our mind. All through Scripture, God tells us what our calling is. In the Great Commission, it's clearly given to us. Jesus spoke to the disciples in Matthew 28. We read that he um, told them, he said, go into all the world making disciples, teaching them to do all that I've commanded. So your call, my call, is twofold. Number one, to evangelize and share the gospel. Number two, it's to disciple and teach those who have heard the call. It's simple. And that's what we're called to do. And as women of Christ and the body of Christ, we're called, we're given a mandate in Titus 2 that we're to teach other women. So it's our calling, it's your calling, it's my calling. It's given to us by God. So how are we, how are we doing that? And that's what, that's what this night is about. It's about how other people have invested in my life, in my mom's life, and given us the torch to try to invest in others. Um, I want our prayer and our passion tonight is threefold. In one way, we want to encourage you. First of all, we want to awaken in us the awareness of the call that God has placed in our lives. We want to encourage you to go about and do good. In the Gospels, it says Jesus went about and he did good. It says that about Paul. And that's what we're to do. We're to work in our lives so that our lives are producing a Christ-likeness that not only affect us, but the, that does that for others, where they can become more Christ-like. The second thing that we want to hope to do is to awaken in us to see the daily opportunities that you and I have to do this. It's the Holy Spirit working in us daily. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. You're going to hear about people who just who are in our path. And it's commonplace, but it's designed by the Holy Spirit, a much greater picture. Just as this quilt has pieces and patches, and someone took the time to put them together. It's a beautiful design. And that's what our lives is, are, are, the Holy Spirit working to help us involve and pursue relationships with others and invest in the lives of others. Thirdly, those of you who are already doing it, don't grow weary in well-doing because that's your calling, 
and you never know what's going to be down the road, you'll see that we're going to talk about things that it's hindsight. We didn't know this as we were going through it, but as we've looked back, we've seen the hand of God save us from ourselves and turn us in a direction that we couldn't know who he was going to bring in our lives. So my mom's going to come first. She's going to share with you her passion for discipling and teaching others. A lot of you she's ministered to, and a lot of you have ministered to her. And I'm sure you all have stories. So, Mom. Can you see her, or do you want her up? On the podium. Okay. Are you more comfortable? I think I'm fine. Okay. If I can talk into this. You can. I don't know what's going to happen, because I've been crying all t- <laughs> last 10 minutes. <laughs> Told me not to cry. She's crying and we didn't even get up here. I just got to say that This is so humbling to be up here. Janet and I spent the week talking about it. It's just, it's, it's absolutely humbling. Because <laughs> each one of you, practically everyone sitting out there, has been part of my life. And I've probably been a part of yours, whether you wanted it or not. And we just appreciate all of you being here. First of all, I want to talk about some uh, people in my life that have made a big difference. They actually have helped transform me into what I am today. Uh, One of them, (laughs) that's what got me started. (laughs) to crying Uh, when I I became a Christian when I was 11 years old and when I was about 17 a little white haired lady came to my church and she was the Proverbs 31 woman she just loved teaching study courses she just loved ministering to anybody that would listen to her. And she would, she <laughs> invented backyard Bible schools. You might think somebody else did, but she did. She would go into places that no one else would want to go. And I just started hanging out with her. I wanted to. And she would invite me to her house, and I would spend the night. And I, I just love that woman. And it turned out she was a pretty good matchmaker because I've been (laughs) married to a son 58 years. (laughs) She was actually probably my most significant mentor that I had to begin with. Uh, In 1969, my brother died in a tragic accident, and I became deeply depressed. But you know what healed me? Nothing else but the scriptures. I got in the scriptures and I poured over them. And this was the beginning 
of my love for the Word. I mean, don't think that I didn't read it before, teach Sunday school, do all those things, but loving it, that was the biggest comfort in my life, just getting into the Word. And we moved, you won't be surprised that we moved. We moved to Washington State, and there I met a lady who had the most devout, deep, abiding prayer life. And I learned from the stories she would tell me. And if I had time, I'd tell you a few of them. Uh, she just would tell me, I mean, I was just amazed what she would pray about, and she would come tell me the answer. And we, we just started hanging out together. You know, I like to hang out. Oh, you know that. <laughs> so uh, we were about to get transferred to uh, another place. You just won't believe that. That's a lot on my agenda. Uh, we were going to be transferred, and I wanted to go to Fort Benning. But I wasn't praying that. I was praying, Lord, just let me go to the south. As two of my kids were in Auburn, and she, she challenged me to stop praying generally, to pray, pray specifically. So I prayed specifically, and guess what? We ended up at Fort Benning. So I was learning that there's something about praying and faith. You cannot separate those. The more you pray, the more faith you have. And you need to pray always believing. And that strengthens your faith. Always faith comes from um, praying. I can't see my notes, so I know what I'm going to say. <laughs> so we got to Fort Benning, and we started coming to Edgewood. And this was another really divine intersection in my life. Uh, about a few months after we came here, Janet became a Christian, and that was definitely a divine intersection. <laughs> I can ask some people that were here then. They would agree with you. She started to grow in the Lord, and that challenged me. You can't have your kid knowing more than you do, especially one like that. So I started just, we started just talking about the Word. We did that all the time. And she just uh, became my, I don't know what she was, but side-by-side -side partner. We were walking together, learning the word. Uh, then I joined a way of life team. Many of you have been in those. We have to know that the scriptures teach us the way of life, and it's our responsibility to study that. And we did that. We were studying that in the way of life teams. And we had a leader, my, and my leader was a lady named Joyce Speck. And I don't know if any of you know her. Some of you do. I know Kay does. And Betty, she had joy in the Lord. I'm not kidding. When I asked Tom, I said, what do you think of when you think of Joyce Speck? He said, joy? I said, that's exactly what I think of. She had joy in the Lord. 
And also, she honestly actually believed Romans 28 and 29. In everything, give thanks. I wasn't so sure I would agree with that. But one day she told me, she said, uh, we're, we're, Tom quit his job. He's getting out of the ministry. He's going into the ministry. And I said, oh, he is? She said, yes. I said, well, good grief. What are y'all going to do? He doesn't have a job or anything. I was mortified. <laughs> so she's, she said, oh, well, God will take care of us. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm, I'll wait and see. <laughs> so sure enough, he did take care of them. And I learned something about that, too. I was learning that prayer, faith, and joy, get that? Prayer, faith, and joy are our strengths. In Nehemiah 8:10b, it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And before that, it says, don't grieve. Don't worry about stuff. I was beginning to learn, I was beginning to learn what it was all about. The picture was coming together. And boy, I was so excited about it. I just about haul everybody I knew in to tell them about it. And then there was one other occasion that I remember. I, I was helping a lady. I meet a physical need that a lady had. And we spent a lot of time in the car, driving back and forth to places. And I remember God specifically told me, to teach her what you're learning. So I got a bu bunch of stuff. She reminded me of it when I told her I was going to say this. And she uh, wrote it down, scriptures for her to study. So when we're meeting someone's need, it's real important that we um, do something else. It's important that we teach them the word. That's our mandate, isn't it? Teaching other people. Women teaching other women. There are also circumstances that are divine intersections in our life. And I had one in July 2012. I've had a lot of them, but this was a big one. Um, I was diagnosed with primary ocular melanoma. This doesn't have anything to do with skin melanoma. And uh, I don't want to get this out of order because it's real important. Uh, this is a rare and dangerous cancer. It only occurs in six in one million people. So uh, when we went to Atlanta, to Emory, to um, talk to the doctor about it, um, he was telling us uh, what if you have primary two, what a grim pick, if you have, what is it? Janet, stage two, you have a pretty dim picture. And he started saying that off to Janet. And Janet said, it looks like we have a pretty dim picture here. And he said, yes. But he said, don't worry, you won't get it. He said, uh, this is specific to your mom's DNA. So I knew that that was my cancer. And it was my cancer, and what was I to do with it? So just so he would be sure, and most people don't get a biopsy, but I got one. 
$7,000. I didn't pay for it. I don't know who did. <laughs> because I, w I thought, well, the audacity of them, when it came back, it said, prediction, metastatic death. I thought, ooh, they could have said it nicer. <laughs> and he also told us that only 20% of the people are not dead in it, three to five years, and most of them are dead in 18 months. Now, he didn't paint a pretty picture, but I don't think he knew this scripture. <laughs> uh, and in thy book, they were, I lost the sight in my right eye. That's, when I'm crying, that doesn't help. And the book, they were all written. The days that were ordained for me uh, anyway, was before I was born. So, 20%, I'm going to go with 20%. So, I said, well, whoa, this is my cancer. What am I going to do with it? You know, because specific to your mother's DNA, God knew before I was born that I was getting that cancer. So, I said, well, okay, I'm going to figure out what to do with it. So I got my, all my family together, and I said, Janet, don't tell these grandchildren that I'm not going to die right away, because I've got their attention, <laughs> and they're listening to me real good. So I just said, let's just go easy on that part. <laughs> so we haven't really talked about that too much, but I said, look, I don't want anybody getting upset about this. We're not going to go moping around here. We're going to keep on living just like I've always been living. I'm going to keep serving God and obeying God and sharing my life with others. And that's exactly what I've been doing. And I've got to tell you this. When we went to the deep elders to pray over us, and I have a hard time talking about Andy because I just love him so much. So you know Andy tells it like it is. Did you know that? I know some people in here. So he looked at me in that meeting after he asked me, uh, you know, what I'd been thinking about it and about sin in my life and if I had that all straight. And I told him yes. And he said, well, Pug, I'm going to start praying that God will give you more years and that you'll be more fruitful in the kingdom of God. So that's what I started praying, and that's what I ask everybody else to pray. So the same God that saved you is going to be with you in every circumstance of your life. So let's just don't go around worrying about things when you know he's got it in his hand. And I want to read the words of that song, um, Doris saying. In and out of situations that tug of war at me. All day long I struggle for the answers that I need. But when I come into his presence, all my questions become clear. And in that sacred moment, no doubts can interfere. Through his love that Lord provided, a place for us to rest, a place to find the answers, in our hour of distress. Now there's never any reason for you to give up in despair. Just slip away and breathe his name 
you will surely find him there. Remember that you're not alone. Even in circumstances as grave as cancer, and I know there are some people in our church that have some um, situations that are worse than that, physically and in every other way. But this is our op opportunity to bear witness, and that witness is that Christ is more important than life itself. A poet once said, there's only one life, it will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. Your turn, Jake. My bodyguard is. <laughs> I had a front row seat to this past year, and um. <clears throat> Only God is all I can say. Um, it's been a joy to <laughs> do a parallel path with my mom. For those of you mothers and daughters here, make the most of the time because there's wisdom in the old <laughs> and there's wisdom in the young. <laughs> and um, we've grown together and we've been on this parallel path. and. Um, my mom is my best friend. I, I'm going to, this is kind of out of order, but so many people have asked me about my dress. Those of you who know me for years know that I wear Oxford and, and just, I don't know what they are now. I can't even remember what the name of them. But I have two <laughs> pairs of blue, two pairs of brown, two pairs of khaki, two pairs of black. And then I had 22 Oxfords in my closet. 32, sorry. So I've had people ask me about this transformation, and I really did not want to speak on that, and I hadn't planned on it, and Mom and I purposely didn't, but so many people have asked me. I would just like to say this. If I share, as I share about this last year and a half, and... Um, the death of the love of my life, then what you see on the outside is what God's done on the inside. Um, one thing missing in my life was femininity. It's not about the Oxfords. It's not about the pants. But it was about God speaking to me about the importance of being what he created me. And so I never really felt compelled to do that. I can honestly tell you that if two years ago I'd had to speak here, I would have been, you wouldn't have seen it, but I've been very intimidated by women dressing like women uh, because I wasn't um, comfortable with that because I just wasn't, and God spoke to me that I, that needed to change. He spoke that to me years ago, um, and it's not about the bling and <laughs> getting all, 
you know, dressed up. I mean, it's, this is a problem. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I never, I was never late to work. I'm never on time. I, it was easy. I got 32 Oxfords. I got about seven different colors. I would just go in there. They were all ironed, and I'd pick one out, and I'd go to work. And that was what I wore all the time. Now I've got to worry about the hair thing. i got to get the makeup on. And some days I just say, and God says, this is what I've called you to be. So as I share further on in my testimony, I just, that's really what's happened in my life. And um, it's humbling to, to admit that and to say that. Um, but each one, God works in our lives, and what may be sin for somebody else or maybe uh, a wall or a barrier in your walk with God may not be with someone else. And so it was for me, and it was a teaching point. Um, we moved here in 1976, and um, in 1977, I became a Christian, much, I'm sure, to my mom's excitement because I was a piece of work, that's all I can call myself, is just a piece of work. And um, I'm sure she thought she was going to kill me or kill herself before it was all over. Um, the first person really to invest in my life in a meaningful way that I remember was Judy Hildebrand. When I came here, I was too young to be in her discipleship class. I had to wait till the next year or till God saved me. And then um, we went into Judy's class, and as you know, she can talk and talk and talk. But what she did for me was she showed me, we, we would talk about anything. There was no question, off limits, the stuff I wouldn't ask my mom. There was no question off limits with her. And her house was always open. And what that did was it gave me a soft place to fall. It gave me, um, she taught me really, really the, the joy in life with this Christianity, because I could get kind of psycho about stuff and just get kind of morbid and just beat it, you know, beat it to death. And we laughed, we had fun, but we applied the word, and she discipled me through those years. As I've watched her, and a lot of you know the family tragedies that she's been through, what I learned through Miss Hildebrand was that God is the God that is with her, and the good God is also the God in the bad times. Her faith didn't waver. She had pain, but she was faithful to his call. This, the second part of my life, really in college, I was very blessed. I went off to college, and somebody built on that foundation, a lady named Terry Harvey. Probably nobody's ever heard of her, but she's going to be big in the kingdom. She took me for four years and invested her life in me. We met weekly to study the word. She taught me how to do verse studies. She taught me how to do word studies. She taught me how to do biographical studies. We studied the word every week. She was faithful to the call. She taught me to how, to, how to have a quiet time and the importance of applying the word of God to my life. It changed me. It gave me a love for the word because I saw it was active. I saw it really meant something and it was active in her life. It also, it grew me in ways that I really can't, you know, can't express, but it, 
it, it's the really the foundation really for the rest of my life. During that time, I can't get into this story, but I had to come back home because I had done some bonehead things and my parents said, can't trust you. So you come home every weekend to church so we can keep an eye on you and that's what happened. So I would come home every weekend and um, there was a guy named here, the guy that um, was here and his name was Gary Levi. I wasn't really interested in him, but he was kind of um, interested in me. And so I really didn't give him the time of day. And so he's very creative, if you know him, incredibly creative. And so if he couldn't get my attention, he worked on my mom. So he got her, and she loved him. And so I, they wore me down. So finally I said, he asked me out, and I finally said yes. Um, I, we laughed about it and said I really didn't have a chance with my mom. Um, going at him. Right away I knew this guy was different, but it's probably not for what you're thinking. Our dates were like kind of incredible. He would, the first date he called me to go up to this farm. I was like, okay. That sounded kind of weird, but I was like, all right, you know, if I'm going to go. So he had this big truck. I would get into the cab of it and I'd slam myself as far against the door, the passenger <laughs> door as I could, and we would haul off. We would go to the, rat, to the dump, and we'd shoot rats on one date. We'd, it gets better. We would go sit in this boat with all these snakes around us, and we would go frog gigging. We would cut the legs off and bring them home. Only Gary could bring frog legs home, and my mom would happy, happily fry them up. We went cow tipping. We did, we did stuff, I mean, this guy was creative, and really, I had the best years of my life with Gary. Well, okay, the deer thing, you, anybody hunt here? The deer and the turkey thing? Okay, well, I'm sorry for those of you who do, the one person in the back. But this is what they do, they get up when it's pitch black and it's freezing. You go out to nowhere where you don't even know where you are. You sit freezing and you wait till Bambi comes out. <laughs> well, I every time I saw Bambi, something would happen, my heart would start fluttering and I would start laughing. And those of you who know, when I get started laughing, so Gary tried it a couple of times and then we gave up on that. The other thing was the turkey thing. I only got one shot at that. You go out in the cold you go somewhere, and you sit, and he tells you to be quiet. Then he puts something in his mouth, and he goes gobble, 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 whatever. And so I, that's it for me. I'm gone. And he's like, you got to be quiet. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm mating. I'm calling. I'm calling him. It's a love call. And I'm like, uh-uh. Uh, so I only got one thing on the turkey thing. Um, anyway, he was just creative. The, the, the truck thing, me slammed across on the other side. One day he came to pick me up and we went. Um, he, he said, you're going to have to get on the driver's side. And I said, okay. So I walked around the driver's side. He opened the door and there's this huge, greasy, dirty tire in the front seat. So I look in the bed of his truck and I go, can't you put that in the back? And he goes, nope, there's no room. 
I'm like, there's nothing back there. He goes, there's no room. I guess you have to sit in the middle. So from that time on, I was hooked. He didn't have to push me, push me over. He, the tire lasted a one or two dates, and then, and then, I, and then he could pull the tire out. We, I was, uh, we, we were an item. Um, one evening, Gary and I came to Edgewood, and we, um, we came to a Bible study, and the person didn't show up. They got sick. I don't know what happened, but I ended up teaching it. I don't know. I was a college kid, and um, when we got out to the car, Gary said, how'd you do that? And I said, I just talked on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, what Terry and I have been studying. We had been doing a word study. And from that time on, it, Gary and I both realized that we had a passion for the Word. And we would study it together, and we would memorize Scripture. He memorized books and books of the Bible. He did this for his entire life. He large sections of Scripture. Um, we would get in his truck, sitting next to each other, and he would put in, he loved hymns, and I loved hymns, and we'd sing hymns all the time. He had a great voice. His brother's got a great voice, Alan Levi, that you know, but Gary had us a better voice. Um, but I'm a little prejudiced. Um, and we would sing hymns. He was real creative. One day he showed up at the house with a saxophone. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of, this romantic. We're going to do a duet. I play trumpet, he plays saxophone. It wasn't about that. He loved, we loved this Al Green tape, and it was, Pass me not, O gentle Savior, hear my humble cry. And he said, I'm going I'm, I'm to learn how to play that. Sure enough, in a couple of weeks, he had never taken a sax lesson. He comes back, and he's playing Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Not to play with me, but he said, I can minister to others, and I can attract them by playing an instrument. And that's just how Gary was. Over the next few years, we had a lot of great times together. Like I said, it was really the best time of my life. But there was an odd tension that was developing in our relationship around spiritual things. God was doing a deeper work in Gary's life. He was becoming more and more passionate about the things of the Lord. I was studying. I was involved in Bible study. But Gary seemed to be moving past me. He spent more and more time in the Word. He worked, but it was, he was more and more interested and concerned about sharing Christ with those around him, meeting the needs. We still did the fun, fun things. We went frog gigging, cow tipping, and all that. But we always were doing things. He would say, Miss so-and-so lost this, or I think Shorty needs some cornmeal or something, and we'd be off to these places, and um, we'd be ministering to others because he would know there was a need. But like I said, there was an odd tension in our relationship. And if you asked me back then what it was, I would have said it was about theology, that Gary and I just didn't quite see things right, and we were both too stubborn enough to think that someone could see it differently than we did. But if you ask me now, I would say that the tension was that Gary was beginning to love God more than the things of this world. His time in the Word was renewing his mind and changing his focus. I was not in the same place. I was doing those things, but I hadn't heard a call of God. Gary would focus on the cross. I focused on resurrection. Gary focused on the blackness of his sin and how it grieved God. And I would focus on the grace of God and our blessings that I'd been forgiven. 
Gary was passionate, and I do mean passionate, about election. I didn't understand it then and just didn't see a need for it. But it was, it was a passion. We were both young. We would have heated arguments. Okay, maybe they were passionate arguments. But what they ended up consisting of was I would memorize scripture. I'd go to Proverbs. He'd give me a book. I'd read it. I'd memorize everything about an angry man in the book of Proverbs so I could quote it to him and say, you know, I got to think about this because you are just an angry man and I shouldn't be hanging out with you because, and that would just, you know, and he, all he was wanting me to do was see what God was showing him. Another thing that I began to see through the years as we dated was Gary's passion for God's word was obvious, but the second thing was a devoted prayer life. His prayers changed dramatically from the time we started dating over the course of the next few years. He would come pick me up in his truck, and he would have been crying. And he was such a manly guy. I'd, it would just, I feel so bad for him. But he would be crying, and I would say, what's wrong? And he would say that God was showing him the, showing him the blackness of his sin. We would go to the chapel, To pray, and he would just, we would go to a bench, and we would kneel, and Gary would cry out for mercy. He would cry for his lost friends, he would cry for lost family members, and he was just passionate. I honestly was scared because I didn't understand the intimacy. I felt like I was in the middle of some kind of personal conversation with someone that I shouldn't be hearing. And it was just a difference. He, I've never heard anybody to this day pray like Gary prayed. If you've ever heard him pray, you know what I'm talking about. He prayed that way to the end of his life. When we would get up, I'm not kidding you, there was a puddle of tears on that bench and on the floor where he was praying. I didn't understand it. And I, I didn't understand it then, and I do now. God was doing a deeper work in Gary. A person can't know God's purpose without coming near to God in prayer. God was breaking Gary and giving him a single-mindedness and a heart for missions. I had a front-row seat to seeing the hand of God divinely intervene in the path of the most godly man I would ever know, but would not understand what I was seeing until years later. Gary went to Jamaica, and before he left, he called and said, would you come visit? And I said, sure. I mean, I was happy to go. We, you don't even have it, the time for the adventures we had there. That was a hoot and a half, I'm telling you. We had so much fun. The day before, we left, before I left to return home, he asked me if I thought I could spend the rest of my life there. I told him, I said, I'm not sure I can do that. We've moved so many times, and... I just wanted to stay in one place for a while. I wanted to have a different answer for him, but God hadn't given me a call. He hadn't prepared me for that question. Gary came home, and the tension after that was more obvious. 
Eventually, he told me he was thinking about going to Spain, and he let me know that if I didn't give him a reason to stay, then he was off to Spain, and that would be it. He could not take a wife there and have a family because he was going to places that he couldn't do that. Also, the main reason was it would be a distraction from being able to single-mindedly pursue the work of God. Once again, I told him, I said, I'm just not sure I want to be a missionary. And the truth was I didn't want to give up the comforts of home. I would lay awake at night, and I would struggle with giving up family and my comforts. For years, I would struggle with that conversation and personally with that decision. I would think, if I'm a better Christian, I, did, I hated missionary talks, just dreaded it because it would just bring it all up inside me. And I thought, what is wrong with you that you can't give your life to do what obviously God wants everybody to do if they weren't selfish? But that really wasn't it. The truth was that God hadn't given me that call. Gary went to Spain, and a year later, my dad and I, I think my dad felt sorry for me, so he would, we would go out on dates every week, and we would go to Louis Louis. and um, one day, Mr. and Miss Levi came into Louis Louis, didn't even say anything, and I burst out crying. So, they're, you know, they're looking at me like, oh, brother. So I told them I needed to talk to them, went to their house, and I told them, I said, I love Gary, and I'm ready to get married. And I don't, and I know he doesn't know that, and I don't know what to do with it. And they said, let him know. So I did this tape. Oh, that tape. It took me, honestly, weeks. I came up into the uh, um, sanctuary and did that tape. And um, it took me hours to do that tape. And sent it, I sent it off, and I waited one to two months uh, for a response. I told him, I said, I love you and I'm, married, I'm ready to get um, married if you feel like that's God's will. The answer that came kind of stunned me because it, me, it threw me for a loop. It, it was not only no, but it was God's called me to singleness. And I was like, honestly, you've got to be kidding me. How can we have the fun we had, and you're saying that? So I, I mean, after I got over being stunned about it and no way to get around it, what do you do when someone tells you God's called me to singleness? I mean, you go, okay, that leaves me with nothing. So I got angry, and I said, okay, he's just trying to get me back. That wasn't it. That wasn't I knew, and I wouldn't have asked, I wouldn't have told him I was ready to get married if I didn't trust that I knew. I've watched him pray. I watched him study God's word. I knew that Gary's heart was God's will, so I could trust him. My mom kept saying, are you sure you want to send this tape? You sure you, are you ready for the answer? So I kind of just... I tried to move on. I kept thinking, well, I deserve that because I really hurt him, and that's really hurtful. Um, yet at the same time, I kept saying, this is the love of my life. 
and I just don't understand it. I don't understand the pain. In an odd way, I tried to move on. My mom and I would talk about the relationship and how we both knew that it was the right thing, but I still couldn't explain it to anyone. I didn't understand the pain of it all and honestly tried not to think about it, but there were constant reminders. I wanted to stay in contact, but Gary, in, in wisdom, said, you know, I think we need to move on in the path that God's called us. Really, it was too difficult. I mean, if you know, I mean, you guys know, it's hard to go back. It's hard to take steps back. But I, I didn't see that then. But, I, but as I got older, I, I saw what he was saying, and I understood it. Stood. From that time on, though, I pursued what I felt God leading me to do. When I taught high school and coached, I made sure that, the time, that it was a time to invest. I did what Terry did with me. I would get the girls on the team, and, and I would disciple them. Um, we would study the word together. Um, eventually, I went into nursing, became a nurse practitioner, internal medicine. and Until really a few years ago, I struggled with, I missed it. I, I'm so selfish, I couldn't go to the mission field. And my life would have been different had I, had I made that decision. Um, when we did Purpose Driven Life here, it really wasn't about the book. What it was about was God freeing me from the guilt. And it was unnecessary, but from the guilt, really, of doing what he called me. I did, but I didn't understand that. But what I saw during that time is I saw Janet you're right where I want you to be. It's not about the pain. You're, what I, you're where I'm calling, where I've called you. And he, it was a, really, it was a miracle because I, I really knew his calling. And I began to see work when I get up every day and go that um, that was God's plan. That was my mission field. That was where God had planted me. During these same years that I was Going on my path, Gary committed his life to mission work in many countries. He became God's man in places that nobody had ever been, that nobody wanted to go. He tirelessly devoted himself to where he was, Bosnia, Peru, Afghanistan, who knows. Half the time, I don't even think they knew where he was. In the past few years, though, he had come back to Harris County, and he was that was his mission field. Through the years, I'd hear story of Gary and his work for God. I kept a relationship with Mr. and Mrs. Levi, and occasionally we would run into each other around town, and it would take me days, weeks to get over that. I would just, it was so painful. I still didn't see the greater picture. I, but what I did see was humility that characterized Gary, passion for the word, devoted in his prayer life, and there was a humility. If you know him, you know that. He just looks like some old country bumpkin, and he talked like it too. But he was a man of God once you listened to him. And if you had a need, it was met. Consider it met. Just as we dated and I saw that humility and, and his respect and his, his love, the, the way he would uh, gently handle me, um, remember, it's Oxford's and blue jeans and all of that. Um, Gary would go about doing good. Gary made it his life mission to do that. See, humility 
is the touchstone for serving God, us being willing to, willing to um, humble ourselves and do what God's called us, whether it's convenient or not. What characterized Gary was a humility that he demonstrated day in and day out by his life. There was no sacrifice too great, no act too small for Gary Levi. About a year and a half ago, Gary was diagnosed with a glioblastoma. That's a malignant brain tumor that's fast growing. They gave him three to four months. He's stubborn. He stayed around for almost a year to a day. And in fact, my mom was diagnosed with that melanoma two days before Gary died. But just as in Gary's life, his death was a testimony of the grace of God. I've never seen a person who was so ready to die and unaffected by the amount of suffering and pain that he might have to endure. That truck, we'd be in that truck, and I hated this part of the relationship. He got stuck on, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. I'm like, he's driving. I'm like, pull over, let me drive. But he said it, he said it in the last year too, and he believed it. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Mascara. Didn't have to worry about that. <laughs> Sorry, Lori. <laughs> Gary taught all of us about the faithfulness of God. Gary longed to be with Jesus more than any other person I know, yet he was even willing to remain here until his Lord and Savior called him home. That was just the same way he lived his life. No sacrifice too great, no act too small. He had no greater joy than to be obedient to his Lord and Savior. The last year of Gary's life, I was able to spend serving and ministering to him and his family in any way I could, almost daily for that year. I would drive up to the farm, even if it was just for a few seconds to get a glimpse of it, then turn around and go home. It was a great time. Early on in his illness, God allowed us to con confirm to each other without a doubt that we had both been obedient to the call of God in our lives, confirming to each other that the paths we have taken were ordained by God and not necessarily understood by men. The truth of the matter is that it took me all those years and a year of watching him die to understand and see in hindsight the hand of God working for his greater glory. See, Gary and I both believe that we did more and could do more for Christ separately than we could together. So, see, the story was never supposed to be about me and my relationship with Gary. It was about two people being obedient to the call of God in their lives. 
Gary was willing to give up everything for the call of God in his life and go about doing good for the sake of Christ and the kingdom of God. He spent his life evangelizing and investing in the lives of others. Whether it was in a foreign country, Harris County, every day he got up, he looked for the opportunities given him by the Holy Spirit to invest in the lives of others. His parents are still <laughs> hearing stories, things they never knew, that he would take girls without dads out, get them their prom, just buy them their prom dress. Things that are important to them. So he could use that opportunity to share God with him, share about Christ and share love. He looked for ways to meet needs of others just for that opportunity or to encourage a fellow believer. You and I are called to do the same thing. Gary's not supposed to be the exception. He's supposed to be our example. We're called to look for the opportunities to minister. You and I are called to go about doing good daily, looking for those opportunities the Holy Spirit gives us and investing in the lives of others. That's what several of my friends did with me. It seems simple, and they didn't understand that. They don't know this part of the story. They, Lori Burt thought she was helping me just get some clothes for my niece's wedding till I told her I needed a whole makeover <laughs> overhaul I think was what I said <laughs> but what she was doing was being the hand of God to help me in an area that she's comfortable with and had no idea that God was working in my life my mom and I appreciate you coming out and letting us share our lives um, with you. Um, I would challenge you to think about the call God's placed in your life. I would challenge you to look for those opportunities. It's all commonplace and in your day. It doesn't have to seem big, but look at what we're telling you. It's just hindsight, and you know that because you each have a story. We're to pursue relationship with others. Let's pray. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. Let me at the throne of mercy find a sweet relief. Kneeling there in deep contrition, Help 
my unbelief, trusting only in thy merit, would I seek thy face, heal my wounded broken spirit, save me by thy grace, thou the spring of all my comfort, more than life to me, whom have I on earth beside thee, whom in have but thee, Savior, Savior, hear my humble cry, while on others thou art calling, do not pass me by, while on others thou art calling, do We don't want anyone here to get passed by the God that uh, we've seen at work here tonight. So if you have any questions in your heart about whether you know this God, you want to know this God, don't leave this room without letting someone know. Miss Donzie, who's sitting here at the front table, Miss Kay, who's sitting here in the middle, myself, or the person sitting next to you, don't leave without asking, because he loves you and doesn't want you to leave this room without knowing who he is. Thank you for coming, and thank you, Father, for being at work. Amen. <clears throat>